Yeah, kid! Welcome, welcome everybody back to another episode of the Handsome Homebuyer Podcast. I am Charles, a.k.a. the Handsome Homebuyer, twin brother of Captain Permit, 513-8838. That's 516. If you need permits, if you're an investor, if you're a realtor, if you're an attorney, if you've ever driven by a house, looked at a house, thought about buying a house or own a house, you need us. We are the glue that binds. We are the savior of the permit world. We work in every township on Long Island, from the Queens border, all the way, all the way out east. Give us a buzz. Uh, realtors, if you have a listing, you don't wanna have a problem with COs at the end. You work so hard, you're about to get paid. You're in the 11th hour. You've worked with this seller listing the house. They were unrealistic. You were $300,000 over where you thought you should have listed it. You finally got it sold. You did a great job. And all of a sudden you find out there's no permit for the deck. Nobody wants that. Avoid that. You have a listing, you call the captain, 516. 516- Five one three eight eight three eight. All right, and for myself, obviously, I am the handsome home buyer. But we are not just homes anymore. If you have anything real estate related, I want to buy it. It's that simple. Five one six seven 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 sold. If you have houses that smell like cappy, if you have land, if you have commercial property, strip malls, storage facilities, you name it. The bigger, the better, the uglier, the nastier. I don't care if there's toxic waste there. I don't care if uh, somebody hung themselves there. Whatever it is, it is. I want to buy it. 516-777 sold. All right. We got a barn burner today, people. All right. People call me alarmist. I'm out there saying like, I don't really know how things are shaping up. We have someone in here who I consider to be one of the authorities. That's right, on this. She is very well diverse. She's an appraiser. She's a performance coach. She's a realtor, performance coach for both realtors and investors, I might add. She's been in the business for a very long time. She knows the ins and outs. She deals with investors. She deals with the public. She deals with appraisal management companies. She deals with the banks. She deals with hard money lenders. She deals with everybody, all right? Now, I tried to say her last name before, and I sort of butchered it. And then she's like, listen, you just you got to let it flow. You just, you just, you just got to let it flow. And so I'm going to try to let it flow here, all right? Welcome, Anne-Marie Giovanello. There you go. I feel like it's like like a song. It's like, right? It's like like jazz. It's like (laughs) jazz. Welcome, welcome. Oh, one quick thing before we dive into the shit of it. Um, We are testing, a good friend of mine is testing a private money fix and flip or uh, rental platform. So if you need money to purchase distressed properties, we are looking for five, only five investors. You can have various degrees of experience, not a problem. To test this platform, there's going to be discounts associated with that. Get at me, 516-777-SOLD, or shoot me an email, charles at handsomehomebuyer.com. That's handsome as in good looking, because you know I am, homebuyer, singular, no S's, dot com. All right, let's get into it. The gloves are off. Um, but I feel like now I got everybody pumped up. I want to <laughs> jump into the craziness, but at the same time, I want to get a little bit of background. Okay. Right? So um, you came to real estate. You were actually a teacher. Yes. Which... I was- a high school English teacher. You were a high school English teacher, which is like, all, all I really want in life is is someone that can give me medical benefits. Yes, I, I was. I was a high school English teacher and librarian. You get, you were a librarian? Yes. Yeah. That I never would have I, ha- I have degrees in, uh, in English and library and information science. And how long were you a teacher for? Um, six years. 
And you gave that up to deal with the craziness that we deal with on a daily basis. I loved real estate. I always... You you must need action. You just need action. Yeah, I did not like going into that building every day. I just did not like... How long ago were you a teacher? Like, when did you leave? So, I was... I've been doing this 12 years. 13 years ago. Okay. Did they have... Well, I'm trying to think. At that point, they didn't have like card catalogs and stuff that you used. They still had them in there. Did they? Some libraries still have them. You don't use them anymore. I miss them. But those they days. did it when I was doing it. It was still, I guess, a transformation from one into okay. They were segueing online. Yes, the technology. No, it's funny because like everybody knows I'm in school now, so like you can't talk to a person anymore. When I was in college, you used to wait online at the bursar mm-hmm. to like register, and there was a line that was like you know three miles long. Now you do everything through this portal. It doesn't make sense. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm taking classes that I'm not supposed to be taking, and hopefully I can talk my way out of it. But um, it's just it's funny that that's like uh, that's what was going on. Then. Yeah, no, and it was starting to change. Even when I went to get my master's in library science, one of my classes was building a computer. I had to be able to build a computer. Oh Jesus! So because they knew it was changing. So you're you're a teacher, which is like everybody wants that job. I know. You realize that, right? I know. I walked like, away. Like people got to look at you. No. When you were telling your family, they must have been like, "Really? Yes." My my both of my parents cried. <laughs> I mean, you got Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield for the love of God. I don't yes. even think you have a copay. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. I I just I was I was not happy, and I didn't want to be that teacher that just did it for the pension. Wow. And for the time off, and I just was, you know, getting into my thirties, and I didn't want to be that person wow you hear that people so if you're sitting there right now saying i hate my job but you're giving me some kind of excuse i don't want to hear it right because Anne marie giovanello boom you see how i said that it's got like a rhythmic tone to it she basically walked out on like the most secure job a person can probably have especially yeah here in new york on long island yeah that's the job can so. we talk what school did you can we talk about that yeah no? i was with comac okay i was with comac everybody wants to live in comac i was with comac and then i went into the city because they were starting a new school and I was able to be an administrator, which really I, I just didn't like. I just didn't. But beyond the commute, I just that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. I just didn't want to do it anymore. I knew I was not meant to be. So at that point, so you loved real estate, but did you know? I mean, again, we when I to- went into the city that final year, I knew that I was coming to the end. I, I just didn't like it. So I had started taking classes to be an appraiser. Oh, okay. I had a friend who was an appraiser, and she told me at the time, this was the boom, and yeah. I guess the end starting, when people started to get nervous. When was this? This was, oh, so this was like 2007, like This right... was 2006. Okay, so this was like, yeah. So this was, and she had even said to me, I don't know, Anne-Marie, things are starting to change. And I said, but it's a great way to do real estate, and I know I can't just become an agent and just, you know, this would be more steady. So I took my classes and everybody in my class, because everybody got to know each other. This is when people were still becoming an appraiser. Mm-hmm. Everybody thought it was crazy. Even the people in the class were like, go back. Just stay teaching. To, best time to do it. <laughs> yes. And well, I, it was also it was also a lot easier at that point to become an appraiser it was, than it is I mean, now. Yes. Obviously, I had the degrees. Now you need a degree, at least a two-year degree. And it's interesting what we were talking about before, because, I mean, we're going to jump to that after. But, you know, there's talks about trying to eliminate appraisers for appraisals of under a certain amount of purchase mm-hmm. price. And that kind of makes sense because not makes that that makes no sense actually. Right. That's insane. But makes sense with it they're making it increasingly more difficult to become an appraiser. Mm-hmm. And that probably fits into that. It, right? it is. They they had made it more difficult maybe two years ago. You needed a four year degree 
and all these crazy hours and whatnot as an assistant. And most assistants either don't get paid or don't get paid very well. And then they found that there was a lack of appraisers across the country. So they lightened it a little bit and made a little bit less hours to actually get your full license. Because your first step always is you have to be an assistant for at least two years. And uh, they went from a four-year degree to a two-year degree to, in certain instances, you just need a certain amount of credits, like 30 credits, college credits. Yeah, I mean, so, people, the government, in a lot of cases, provides and crushes opportunity. Like, they dictate things. Like, what's going on in the city right now in Hudson Yards? Like, the city decided that they wanted more office space, so they rezoned it to give developers the opportunity to do that. This is the same kind of thing. Like, the government, you have to know what's going on in the world, and I know I shouldn't be saying that because I don't own a TV, but... You got to know what's going on in the world because based on what the government does, it provides opportunity or basically crushes your current Mm -hmm. situation. So you went to school, you became an appraiser. I went to school, I became an appraiser and I decided to go uh, full force. So I left teaching. I mean, I could have always gone back to teaching, but I I left and I, I just put my heart and soul into it. I remember as I was getting into it, that's when things started to collapse. And I had a friend who, uh, she does a lot of networking. She's not in real estate, but she does a lot of networking. So she had me meet her at a Panera's with a real estate agent and a mortgage broker. And we had lunch and the two women sat there and tried to convince me to go back to teaching. And they said, you're crazy and you shouldn't do this and everything's collapsing we're not making the money we used to and we walked outside and as they kept telling me not to trust anyone in real estate you should leave go back to teaching oh my god if i had a teaching position i'd never leave and one got in her mercedes and one got in her bmw (laughs) and i turned to my friend and i said listen nobody tells me i can't do anything and i'll never forget that was the summer and I decided I'm not going back into that classroom. Wow. And I just went, I, I sent out at the time, because I, I was old school, I sent out, I think, four or 500 resumes to mm. become an assistant. Because all the um, appraisers were getting rid of assistants because things started to slow down. And finally, I had this one guy who was willing to take me on and help me. And he wow. was my savior. He taught me everything. He taught wow. me everything. You still know him? You still like... I still know him. He's actually not an appraiser. He's a, he's a mortgage broker. <laughs> so, But he still has his license? Uh, no, he let his license go. And in fact, I'm on his appraiser panel. <laughs> wow. So That's very cool. Yeah. It's interesting how things come full circle. Yeah, they come. So, I mean, let's so let's let's talk about appraisal. I mean, just there's so much. We could spend an entire podcast talking about appraisers, appraisals, appraisers. I mean, every, just the industry. So... I mean, I want to start here. How so? You own uh, Titan Appraisals, yes, right? So you do. You work for banks. You work for a tremendous amount of hard money lenders. You do private appraisals for investors, people that are, are liquidating estates, etc. Basically, anybody. Divorce. Yeah, anybody who needs a, a residential appraisal. Exactly. So I mean, you deal with everybody. Yes. Right, and and you do it as a realtor, as an investor, as a coach. Like so, you you're on a very high level with this stuff. So, a, I'm curious to know how you've seen the appraisal business as a whole change from pre-crash to current market? Because I know there's been like iterations through that. Well, pre-crash years ago, I mean, there were appraisers that were doing 20 grand a month. I mean, it was crazy. It was, it was insane. And then the crash came and it quickly weeded out the appraisers who just got into appraisals for the money. So how many people, it's like similar to like a realtor thing. How many people do you think like, what was the count, the appraiser count? I don't remember exactly. There was a statistic once, but again, we're going back over a decade. I, I think tens of thousands of people let licenses go. 
Because again, that was a time when it was easier to be an appraiser. You know, you didn't need as much time as an assistant. You got your hours very quickly. As soon as you got your hours way back then, you could take the test and become a full appraiser. And it was easier. You needed a certain amount of hours. Okay. So now they changed all those rules. So everybody just got into it. Who knew a mortgage book or who knew a realtor? You know, there were all kinds of crazy things going on in the boom. So, but also appraisers. Like I heard stories. Cause I have some buddies that are uh, that are realtors that are also appraisers, and they were like, "Yo, I was showing up to do an appraisal. I was getting paid five hundred dollars cash yes. at the door." Yes. And he's like, "This is fucking awesome." It was. It was. It was great. We used to be handed cash at the door. The banks didn't pay us. The people paid us. So okay. it, was, it was great. It really was. And then everything collapsed, and of course we were part of the larger blame for everything that happened. Of course. Because there were bad seats that did some bad things. Yes. I mean, I'm plenty sure of the appraisers got in trouble, lost licenses, got sued. Wow. So there was that. So that weeded out a ton of people. But then, ironically, I was going from assistant to full appraiser at that time. I saw another niche because as soon as it all collapsed, that's when all the short sales started and all the distressed sales. So I... One of my first ventures into this was learning about short sales and REOs because as soon as things collapsed, everybody, all the well, banks were calling everybody, all of us in. So really, I went from crazy quick appraisals to distressed sales and, you know, double the amount of pages for the reports. And what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And then they changed uh, Dodd-Frank, put in the AMCs. Okay. And that's when another ton of appraisers left. So for people who don't know what an AMC is, what is an AMC? Appraisal Management Company. Through Dodd-Frank, which was set forth to regulate the banking system after everything collapsed. Because um, someone's got to get blamed for this somebody shit. Somebody's got to get blamed. And it's not the people that made billions. I believe it, it was Cuomo, because he was the attorney general at the time. He felt that one of the bad things that were happening was that appraisers had direct contact with the lenders. And he felt that that was bad, because we could be influenced, undo influence. So he decided there should be a management company in between the appraiser and the bank, a third party. So as that took place, again, right at, as everything collapsed. So now we're going on maybe eight years of AMCs or so, six to eight years. Um, all the big banks, you were required to use them. The only, per the only banks that don't need to use AMCs are credit unions. Really? Yes. They, so, go, they go direct. They go direct. Okay. So Because they, they're more honest than ever. They're, they're regulated differently. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, so once that happened and there was going to be somebody looking over your work, somebody who called you, somebody you kind of reported to, hmm. you had all the appraisers, the older appraisers leave. They just said, I'm not doing this. Wow. Really? So then you had a, 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 yeah, an exodus of a lot of the older appraisers. And then some people embraced it and said, hey, if this is how it's going to be, great. I'm going to get on all these packs. Because then we had to rework everything. Whereas I used to be on lists for mortgage brokers. Now I had to get on all these lists for these AMCs. Yeah. And, you know, some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. And that's how it's been since. So for anything bank related, there is usually a um, intermediary between me and the bank. So I don't really get to talk to anybody in the bank. Which, which I mean, absolutely gunks up the process, right? Which which definitely slows down the process. So I know that you were talking about before about how the government is saying that um, appraisers are slowing down the process and they want to get rid of them at certain price points, but they implemented a middle person to slow it down on their own. Right. With the, when uh, tr like Donald she, Trump became president, he kind of loosened Dodd-Frank, which meant, I mean, you could do away with some of the AMCs, but now this became the new norm. So a lot of banks are sticking with them. Because they're just used to it. Yes, they're just used to it. The problem with the AMCs is, ironically, they're not regulated. 
which is <laughs> they're not really regulated. So a lot of times you get people who are not appraisers working for these AMCs, not necessarily banking people. So they don't mm. know quite know the process of what they're talking about. And a lot one of the things that slows the appraisal process is a lot of times we get kickbacks from these AMCs. And I don't mean monetary. I mean, the report comes back mm. with these weird questions that sometimes are in the reports yeah. that they don't know how to find and all these other kind of crazy of stuff. And it's like, it's in the report. Yes. And then we have to go back and, you know, you're dealing with people who, you know, don't understand the appraisal process. Like for, for those of you that, you know, aren't really familiar with appraiser or even if you're in real estate, I just, I feel a lot of times people, even if they feel like they have a, a, a limited uh, understanding of something, they, they don't understand what's involved. They take it for granted. Like mm -hmm. doing an appraisal is not an easy thing. People like if you're paying somebody X amount of dollars to do an appraisal, right? Those things aren't really time consuming. They are. And, you know, they're very, I mean, we do a market analysis that's very different from what a realtor does. And I'm not knocking realtors. It, it's different. It's a different process. Different things are expected from us than are from realtors. We are, you know, governed by an ethics body called USPAP. And the government does check in on us. It's, it's a whole different process. So when you call a realtor and ask for a CMA, a lot of times, some are better than others, but a lot of times they just kind of pull what's sold in the area and show it to you. I mean, let's, I mean, let's be real about it also. It's like you have an extensive, you have extensive training and time doing this. Yes. You know, you can take a 72-hour course, become a realtor. And again, it's not to knock realtors. Their skill is by like finding properties for people that want to buy and selling properties to people that have it. It's not appraising stuff. No. That's why it's very cool. I, I often say to realtors all the time, like, listen, do you want to have a competitive edge? I'm like, go become an appraiser. Go become an appraiser just so you could say you're an appraiser. Or take the class. I mean, the classes are quite informative also. It, it's a different way of looking at things. You know, I, I've had realtors just say to me, you know, what's the adjustment on this bathroom? You know, four or 5,000. And I said, well, no, it's not that black and white or a square foot adjustment. And I said, I... I I pay for extra software that helps me analyze and pulls from MLS and helps me analyze the market as a whole. This is also all you do all day. Yes. Like, not all you do. You well, do I did real, shit, I, but, you know, everything's but, real estate yes, driven yes, for me. Yes, exactly. So, so the AMCs came in, boom, boom, boom. All right, great. Now that's like plugging along. Now, you know, what's kind of like the next? Well, now things are changing again. There's... A lot of people aren't aware there are minimums set forth by Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the government that say when you need appraisals and when you don't. So right now, any house that's $250,000 or less doesn't necessarily need an appraisal. It doesn't mean that the banks won't Oh, so that's it. the law now? It's not a, it's it's already on the books through the banking administration. And that's that's a recent thing. No, that's been on the books for a long time. Okay. So I think that even predates me getting involved. That's been on the, the books for a long time. Okay. You don't necessarily need it. It doesn't mean the bank the banks usually order appraisals, especially in crazy markets like ours, Long Island, because we're driven, we're very neighborhood driven, school district driven. We have a lot of it's crazy like another stuff. Planet. Yes. We're very different over here than some of your track areas like you would see in Vegas, Florida. So they want to raise that minimum to four hundred thousand. That's a new thing. So anything four hundred thousand dollars or under doesn't necessarily need an appraisal. Okay, and that was that was recently voted on. It was backed like what? It, well, it's starting to get banking uh, backing by the big industries like the American Banking Association, and whatnot. They feel like they want to 
make the process of buying a house a little more or even refinancing. They want to speed it along. Easier. All <laughs> right. So, but all right, is this one of those things that's on the books like, oh, you really need an egress window in the town of Hempstead in every basement, but they don't care about that if the basement's finished? Is this going to be on there and sit? Or is this something they're literally looking to push and, and like... It's uh, the impression we get because, uh, you know, I'm with friends with appraisers and in groups with appraisers across the country. It, it's something they're looking to push. It, it's enough to make us uncomfortable so everybody just let's stop and think about that for a minute imagine you live in a world where there is no check and balance for a first-time home buyer house and this is new york right so everyone's like oh this is new york blah blah blah. like yeah you know the median house the medium sale price right now in nassau county is like 525 and suffolk is 400 whatever this is not the world if you go to like Lubbock, Texas, you could buy a house for like 40,000 bucks. Like, I, I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about, but you get, you get the point here. Imagine you live in a world where the overwhelming majority of homes that are sold to the working class, lower middle class people who end up eating shit for everything that goes wrong in this country, there's no appraisal. Like, whatever the market says is what the market says. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Well, part of the problem also is that they... I don't, they still blame us. And one of the, one of the issues is the management companies. And again, some are better than others, but again, they're, they're running big businesses. So appraisals come across their desk. They have to assign them to us. It's not like all computer generated. So, you know, sometimes things get lost in the shuffle. So it takes them a while to assign it to us. Then we have to make the appointment go right up the appraisal, send it back. Then they review it themselves again by sometimes people who are not appraisers. And we go back and forth. So that takes time. And also, I don't know why they're looking to do this because we are the only opinion of value that has no financial concern other than you paid us to do a job and we do it. The realtors are going to make commissions. The mortgage brokers make whatever commission they make on their mortgages or whatever their salary is. There's big money on that stuff. There is. And of course... There's the emotional for the people who are buying the houses. Who really have no idea no, what's going on. No. And they, they just don't. So we come in and give an honest opinion based on this is what we do. Yes. So, you know, and that's, I think, part of it also. There's been a lot of back and forth since the market picked up in the last year where appraisers have not been hitting values and whatnot. And people upset about that. So, yeah. you know, they're just looking. I actually had that happen to me recently. I... I've only happened, that's happened to me twice in my, in the last five years. That's really happened twice in the last year. I had one house where, in West Babylon where I was like, I can't even believe I got this number and it didn't appraise it. I'm like, well, I can't, you know, that's, that makes sense to me. And then I had a house in CI. It was a three bedroom, two bathroom ranch with a full finished basement. And it listed for 349 and I got full asking price and then it came in at 335 And at first I was like, what the hell? But then I went and looked, I was like, yeah, really? It, it's not, it's not worth 350 <laughs> I'm like, that sucks, but it's not. So market value and appraised value are very different things. They are. They're very different. You know, I've had realtors come back to me and say, if I've come in under value, which it actually doesn't happen that often, but it happens. And of course, then you deal with an angry, angry realtor and they come back and say to me, isn't the definition of market value what my buyer is willing to pay? And my comeback usually is, well, yeah, but not necessarily with the bank's money. Yeah, but exactly. Like you, you are here to protect you're here to protect the bank, but you're also here to protect people from themselves. Yeah, sometimes people, you know, you are, especially the buyer, you're you're paying somehow, or whether it's worked into your mortgage or you pay your mortgage company to do the appraisal, you're paying for this appraisal. 
and I'm here, you know, to look at this house and let you know what I think. Again, it's an opinion of value. That's what an appraisal is. However, coming from an industry expert, you know, that has no, nothing to gain monetarily. You pay me a fee and that's it. I'm just looking at it and telling you an opinion of what I think. And people get, you know, buyers get upset. I've, I've had some angry voicemails from buyers too. And, you know, it kind of is what it is. I mean, I just had an instance recently in a, a nice town on the island and there was a bidding war, of course. And they had it listed at around 450 and it, the bidding war took it up to 475 and mm. the agent listed it at the right price. Should have gone from 440 to 450. It was on top of the train tracks. It backed a, um, a shipping company, so there were trucks. And it was across <laughs> the street from an apartment complex. And then they mis somewhat misrepresented the house. It was a raised ranch, not a high ranch. And a raised ranch, really, your ba- you have a basement. It just comes up a little bit higher. Yeah. So the main floor was really two bedrooms. And then they had everything else in the basement. They marketed it as a high ranch that was 2,000 square feet. It wasn't. It was a ranch with a full finished basement and you had a nice size basement. So nobody looked at it the right way. And then I made them pull the CO. And sure enough, the CO says it's a one story ranch with a basement. And I said, I can't go against the ranch. And I said, but you have to think about it too. If, If this was, it was a very nice area of Long Island one of the quote unquote wealthier areas. Mm-hmm. If this really was over 2000 square feet, forget about 450, this would be 650. Yeah. So you, you got to think about things. And then, you know, the, the agent was actually pretty cool. She, once I explained everything to her, she understood. This was something she was a seasoned agent. I, I felt she should have been a little more aware of. Again, I was only dealing with the buyer's agent. And of course people get upset and oh, I'm going to take a higher offer. And listen, there's no other appraiser that's going to view that differently. You have all kinds of external issues and it's a basement. So, you know. Plus, if you have like, if you have an F, if you're doing an FHA appraisal, you can't really dispute the appraisal. And you can't like send somebody else. It doesn't, just doesn't happen. It doesn't work. The government doesn't go for it. Here's the thing that I want investors to understand because there's a lot of guys out there I feel are going to get smoked right now, right? And I don't want anybody to get smoked. I mean, you, when it comes to location, you have to make adjustments for this people, right? School district is a very big thing. Houses that are on corners, houses that are on busy roads, houses that back commercial. You got to get logic for a second. Forget about getting all caught up in the emotion of like, oh, this is sexy. I'm going to flip a house. And now everyone's loaning 90% of the purchase price and 100% of the reno. So it's going to cost me five bucks to do this anyway. But remember, you have a personal guarantee on this stuff. If it goes bad, you are responsible for it in most cases. So think about yourself. Think about it logically. If there's 50 houses available in an area, right? There's 50 nice capes. Most of all of them, let's say just two. There's two houses for sale. They're both listed at $450,000. One of them is on a corner of a busy road that backs commercial, and another one's on a nice tree line block. Which one's going to sell faster, right? They're both going to sell. Someone's going to buy the one that backs the commercial on the busy road, but it's going to have to be at a discount. How big of a discount is that? Typical discounts on things range anywhere, in my opinion, from five to 20%, depending on the combination and the severity, right? If you're on a busy road and you're on a corner, that's obviously worse than being on a busy road and having a nice traditional backyard. If you're on a corner, but you're not on a busy road, that's obviously not as bad, but that's worse than just having a traditional backyard. Sizes of yards, all these things matter. Nobody really wants to be backed up to a, I sold a house, we called the chicken house once. It was, um, 
It was next to on the bottom of a hill from a chicken farm. And it stunk <laughs> like death. And lucky for me, I bought it in the winter, so I didn't realize. And I sold it in the winter, so apparently chicken shit doesn't stink in the winter. But God, that would have been a different story had I bought it in the summer or looked at it in the summer. That was a lot. Yeah, no, they don't. That's why I even tell investors sometimes, I, I know if they're going to take a loan with a hard money lender, sometimes they do have an appraisal done. But some of these hard money lenders now are using BPOs, which... Oh, because it's, well, it's cheaper. Cheaper. And, and, and they're probably more lax on the numbers. Yes, they're much more lax. Well, again, agents don't know how to make adjustments. <laughs> so they're throwing arbitrary adjustments in. They don't really realize. They Explain don't really adjustments care. so people understand. So... A square foot adjustment between a 1,500 square foot house and an 1,800 square foot house, that 300 square feet difference, I have to make a per square foot adjustment. $40, $50, $100, doesn't matter. They make We make adjustments for different bathroom counts, varying bathroom counts and such, basements, full basements, partial basements, finished. So there's all kinds of adjustments for that, which are you know market driven. But again, we're start, studying the market. So some of these companies, I believe, I think I could say this, like Lending Tree in California. Well, we just said it. <laughs> Lending Tree in California. It's not that they're bad. They just they use BPOs. And um, again, I know some investors who've had some issues with the BPOs. And it, again, it's because they've ended up having to order appraisals themselves and then sending it to Lending Home. It's cheaper and quicker, but it's not necessarily right. I always tell investors, no matter who you're going with, you should have an appraisal done. Just, I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of dollars. Spend the 350 and talk to an appraiser. It's actually, it's like people buy houses like and don't have home inspections done. It's like, yo, you're going to buy a house for 400 grand. You don't want to spend $500. I mean, investors, right? Before you sign on the dotted line, you might want to build a relationship with somebody like Anne-Marie who can come in and give you a valuation. She's like, oh, I don't want to spend 350 whatever. Hey, you're about to buy a house for $250,000 and put another $100,000 into it. You might want to spend X amount of hundreds of dollars to know and get like a good target, not a range. You can't call up most realtors and ask them what something's worth. They don't know. It's also not their money and it's not their responsibility, right? And, unless you're going to use them as the agent. I mean, they don't care. I but mean, you, their goal is to be the agent. <laughs> but a lot, I mean, listen, all agents aren't created equal. There's some no, very good agents, but that's a not. very small majority. And being a good agent and being able to pump out product is not the same thing as being a market expert. No. And again, there there are some fantastic agents. There have been times where I've met agents at the house and I've said to them, listen, even me, I'm not 100% sure. Like, where are you coming up with this number? And they have met me and came with comps and said, well, look at this and look at that. And have you ever considered this? And they've even educated me on some things. But the vast majority of them are nervous when we walk in, <laughs> you know, because well, they never can, know. You can be intimidating. I can be intimidating, yes. But they, they just never know <laughs> what we're going to say. And I always joke, sometimes I think some of the better agents are the ones that meet me and do not have comps with them because they're confident. They know and they feel like it's my job to comp it out. Interesting. And, I, you know, I get when I, I mean, I've met a few people with these packs they print out everything, the photographs and everything, oh, like the whole like, thing. Yeah, that goes like, in the garbage. they just kill the whole tree for no reason. And then I could tell right away. I love sometimes when they hand me the map that you could print out on MLS uh, that yeah. shows the comps. Mm -hmm. And then I look, and I could already tell half of their comps are miles away. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, we can tell right away. Also. So explain that to people so they know. Like, 
even though, and I don't know if I entirely agree with this philosophy. Like, for example, Levittown is huge, right? Yes. So, like, you can't take a mile of Levittown because Levittown is basically the same everywhere for the most part. No, I, yes, you can go beyond them. Uh, you know, there are instances where we can go, well, we can go search within a year. I mean, we only go over a year if it's a rare. Oh, yeah, I thought it was account. six months. No, they prefer six months. You need at least one comp, sometimes two, that's within six months. Wow. You can go up to a year. I didn't know that. Yes. And you can search, I mean, within a mile for suburban areas, half a mile urban areas. And okay. the, even that, they've changed a little bit. Uh, they, they've gotten a little, our governing bodies with the uh, appraisal industry have gotten a little lax that you can go beyond a year, beyond a mile if you need. And I have, and I, I mean, there are certain instances you go into certain areas in the North Shore and everybody's on an acre, so I'm going to hit that mile pretty yeah. quickly. But when I'm in a, a regular town, um, let's even say I, I had one in Quorum. It was a flip and it was a ranch and they did a beautiful job. And the price was very, very high. She's handing me comps from three miles away. And um, there was a flip around the corner, which looked really nice. And I, I'm, that's when I know right away yeah. that there's that, a problem. That they're reaching. You're reaching. So that's the thing. I mean, you got to understand what's in that, you know, in that mile radius, because that's what the bank is going to look at. And like, while you being somebody who really like cares about the market and people, you'll, and knows the market, you'll look outside of it. But like your average appraiser, they just like, they're not making enough money for the time they're spending. They're just going to, they're going to just blow through it. Yeah, no. And I've had instances, especially even with investors. I mean, I I look on MLS and stuff and every, everything's a gut. I love when I see the MLS description. It was a gut. And then I walk in and I can tell right away from the wall. I could be in your house for five minutes and tell whether or not you got it. I didn't even need five minutes. I can tell if you've got that house. When I see a true gut, then I might need to go outside that one mile radius to find something in that because we rate our conditions from a C1 through a C5. A C1 is a brand new build. Okay. There's no getting around it, even if you've got it to the studs. Okay. That's a C1. C2, of investors get a lot. Those are the, that's when you've got it to the studs. I mean, roof, is utilities, a Is everything. a dormer a C1? Is a what? A dormer. Like, so if you take a no. cape, blow it up, still not a C1. No, because okay. everything else in the house is a higher condition, right? True. It's an older boiler, older electric. Well, no, you change all that. Let's say just you, because of the dormer or the whole house. Let's say you gut the entire house. I'm just curious to know how this pulls out. So you gut the entire house to the studs, right? Then you throw a dormer on it. It's all new plumbing, electric. The framing on the first, on the lower level, is original, and obviously the floor is original, like the subfloor is original. Yeah. Is that a C1 or no? No, that's C2. Okay. So it has I, to I've be... had instances where I've actually had to take it to higher ups in Fannie Mae, where they bought and they knocked the house down to the foundation, but left the foundation. So what is that? We've gone back and forth. It's I, a I mean, C it's one and still a half. it's a lot of times it's a C two, but I make an adjustment even against some yeah. of the other C twos. I try and find another knockdown because your foundation. I mean, we always make jokes about building foundations. Personally, would mm -hmm. that foundation is still original, a nineteen fifties foundation that now you built a three thousand square foot house, but and even they've extended the basements. Then I have half the basement that's new, half. So you know. It's a C1, C2. It really is dependent on the situation. So you really have to know, because I have people tell me, I have investors call me up all the time or when they make appointments with me for the bank appraisal then and the realtor, I say, it's gutted to the, it was gutted to the studs. 
I tell people and I'll tell all your investors, take photos, show me photos that I can really match up with the house. Cause I've had a few people try and pass off photos that were not of the house I was in. (laughs) So you gotta say like, you don't want to lie to these people. They do this every day. Yeah, no, I I could tell right away. I mean, it's, it becomes like a second nature. When I go to somebody's even friend's house, I get out and the first thing I look at is their roof before I even make contact with the front door. I, I, I get out and I look at the roof and look at all the roofs of the neighbors. It's just like a thing. I go into houses, it, it becomes second nature. Yeah, you're hardwired to do it. You're, you are. You're hardwired. You can see. Um, I can tell when people ask me, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? I want to talk about, you know, what it's like for you being an appraiser, working for different um, uh, hard money lenders. And then I want to seg that, segue that into like how you see the market right now as a whole on the investment end and the end user end. So I knew I've been working with, with a number of different lenders uh, as as basically their preferred appraiser. Yes. So you'll you'll go like so basically someone has a house in the contract, they want X company to fund the deal, and you are hired to go out there to um, give an honest review. Yeah. So I all the investors need a scope of work. So I need to see a scope of work. Um, Explain scope of work so, the, so everybody what, knows. The list of what they're going to do to the house and as detailed as possible. Okay. Because um, I have people who just say like driveway, kitchen, bathroom, 20,000, you yeah. know, new electric, 10,000, you know, as detailed as possible, as broken down as possible. So I can really get an idea of what the house is going to look like. And um, that's how I look for an after repair value. So I, I take a best estimate of what your house will appraise for after your repairs are done, what you should market it for and whatnot. Again, I, I wish I had a magic eight ball because some some of you guys sit on these houses for six months and look at what happened last year. The, our, the market, our market made a hard right. I mean, we went from kind of normal to all of a sudden, you know, there were no houses on the market and everything jumped. I mean, yeah. I couldn't have, nobody knew that was coming. Yeah, that so was crazy. I make a best guess estimate. And then some hard money lenders also like me to do an as is. So they'd like to know that the price you're buying it for is yeah. competitive. Um, so, I mean, and these guys are lending 90% of the purchase price, 100% mm-hmm. of the renovation cost. I mean, how do you feel about that as an appraiser, as a person, as an investor? Like, this shit's crazy. It is. It's crazy. And right now, well, it's gotten crazier. And too much money floating around without it a place is. to go. And you don't, you know, not everybody is like Charles over here, Mr. Handsome, that knows what he's doing. Good I looking, mean, <laughs> charming. Charisma you know, divine. you have these guys that watch a show on, you know, HGTV and can flip a house. Yeah. So that's, and then they're given too much freedom and too much money and they just are not really understanding what they're looking at. And I've walked through houses with first time home buyers, first time flippers and, I mentioned a couple of things to them and they look at me like I'm like they never even thought about fixing something or doing this or doing that or the electric and look at this and well your oil tank's buried what are you going to do and they're just flabbergasted. And this is where the coaching comes in which we're going to talk about in a minute but I want to get your opinion of the market as a whole on the investing side and the market as a whole for the resale end user. Like what do you see going on? You know, check out the, the like look into your magic ball. What <laughs> it, do you, in your opinion? It's getting crazy. It's, it's getting a little crazy. Um, we have a flood of investors right now. Like I said, everybody thinks crazy. they can flip a house and the loans that they're getting are crazy. So, you know, you, you just can't give somebody brand new all this cash to say do whatever because they, they just are not in check with what's going on, their monthly payments, what they have to do with the house. 
I don't know where they're getting their contractors from. So there's a lot of chaos with that. You have a lot of them, uh, Zillow. I mean, I can't even tell you and express how much I hate Zillow. Uh, Zillow is the, the whole world. Zillow <laughs> sucks on every so possible level. It, it does. And, you know, they, they're pulling Zillow. They come with Zillow printouts to me. And I'm like, well, that's in a, a couple of blocks over is a different area. And, you know, oh, my God, that's a different school district. And wait, you're on the border of this. And. I just had an investor who was Babylon, but North Babylon schools, which is very different ball. Very game. different ball. North game. of the Southern State Parkway is yes, very different. Yes, he wasn't looking at that. So, so you have that chaos going on. Because well, they also don't have access to information. No, and sometimes the realtors don't forget. Sometimes they stick with their realtors, and I'm I'm all for loyalty. But see, I go from town to town, Nassau, Suffolk, Queens. I know the market. That's what you pay me to do. I know it. You have a realtor you're with in Queens and are going to bring him or her out to Nassau County because you're loyal, which is great. But if they're not familiar with the market and what's going on and the little cutoffs we have of neighborhoods and whatnot, her value or his value might not quite be what you think it is. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, and and this is what I tell investors all the time. Like, listen, I don't think you should necessarily become a realtor, but you need access to the information that the realtor has. Because it's not the real, like, you need to know what's going on with the market. You need to be able to check absorption rate. You need to see what's under contract, what's closed, how the market's moving. You can't buy a house based on the fact. No, no, you can't. I have investors who, uh, you know, that I've worked with a long time that call me up and ask me for the information. And what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? I mean, once I have a relationship with, you know, some of the investors, I will speak to you and let you know what I think. Not even for a fee. Just, you know, be careful this area. What do you think of here? I let them know. And that's all with building relationships. And it, again, my opinion is very different than a realtor opinion. And it, it's just, it is what it is because, you know, we give each other business, we know each other, we can talk, and that's that's great. Um, but it, that's segueing into the market as a whole because the market right now is flooded with flips. And it's crazy. You crazy. Look, you look through the drip of stuff that's listed and it's like flip, 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 regular house, regular house, flip, flip, flip. Like, it is. It's, it's crazy. Cra- it's crazy. And you also have what I'm seeing is a lot of guys picking up um, houses at auction or maybe even the short sales going through finally that they've been holding for two years. And now they're not flipping them. They're throwing them back on the market, but for under market value because they just want to get rid of it. Yeah. And then that throws us all off. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. I mean, listen, there's, I mean, there's just when there's a flood of money into a certain sector in the market, it inevitably drives up prices to the point where it has to explode. It is, it's crazy right now. I'm seeing houses that would have normally gone to investors on MLS and being sold. I mean, let's put this, let's put it in perspective for a minute here. That no, I don't think any house in the last six months in Levittown has sold for under $300,000. That means the biggest bag of dog shit that is not mortgageable, holes, rats, human shit. I mean, I got a call on a house that was like literally I mean, you really, you had to knock the house down because it was a crazy scenario. And like, they were looking for $300,000. And the crazy part is someone's going to give it to them. Oh, like, yes. There exactly. are guys, I heard about a guy the other day who bought a house for three eighty five, trying to like sell it for five. Like the whole thing is just, it's nuts. It is. It, it's crazy. And we can't sustain it for much longer. No, definitely and, you not. You know, we do have some things coming back again with the no doc mortgages and um, where you don't have to prove your salary or anything. Um... The interest rates have been fluctuating quite a bit. Between they just dropped down a little bit, the, right? Yes. And then, so I've actually had some refinances, which I haven't had in over a year. Oh, yeah? Yeah, people are refinancing. Just because they think 
that what interest rates are going to go up and they want yeah, cash and they out want, now. Yeah, and they want, I've had a lot of cash out and a lot of regular refinancing. Interesting. Um, so I've had a lot of things going on. And like I said, there's these bidding wars. And then I watch some of the houses when either I, uh, if I don't hit the value, I, I save them on MLS to see. And then I don't know what they do, but some of them miraculously close at the value and they're, they're paying too much for these houses. And I'm seeing houses that should be, I mean, anywhere from thirty to $60,000 less selling. So, and again, we're, we're in a state where people are getting these mortgages again. Um, and they're getting in over their heads. I mean, these, they're, they're buying, they're becoming house poor at the minute they sign. That's the thing. And you know what? And it's, I mean, I, I believe in ultimate responsibility, but at the same time, like, I don't think they're being educated by the mortgage brokers. I think yeah. like, I don't know what the DTIs are now, if it's like 41, 47%, whatever it is, but it's pre-tax money. Mm-hmm. Like you got to figure like there's no money left after you pay your taxes on your mortgage. Mm-mm. And then everybody forgets about all the other shit that goes into maintaining a house. Yes. And I, I have a few mortgage guys that I know, not even doing that I know from being an agent, not even necessarily appraisals. They're really good guys and they tell people the truth and they've lost business over it. Because they, they, people just want the most they can afford, you know, like the, whatever they'll give them a mortgage for. And I, I got one guy, he's really honest, he's awesome. And he tells them, let's say 350 and they're upset. And then it's kind of like, well, why do you want to then go spend 400000 Because you think your life is going to get better at some point. Yeah, and then they get pissed at him. That guy does less loans probably because then somebody else will tell him what they want to hear. Yes. It's the same thing like, you know, like certain agents. Certain agents are very, realtors are very honest. And they're like, yo, this is the house is worth three fifty. And some other residents are like, I think I can get you 450 Well, that guy's got to be better. No, that guy's not no, better. No. The market just decides what something is worth. I mean, if you're a realtor, obviously not all realtors are created equal. You have to paint it in its best light. You have to return phone calls because a lot of people are just lazy and they suck. Certain realtors are better negotiators than others, like my friend across the table here. But again, the market decides. Yes, it does. And, it, you know, there's still, like I said... Even some from some investors, some crazy stuff on the market. I, I'm seeing high ranches divided up into three apartments, which you're not allowed to do. And then, you know, the bank, I get the order and it's through an AMC. So I'm not even having contact with the bank and they make it very clear it's for investment purposes only. And it, it doesn't matter. You can't have a high ranch divided up into three apartments with four bathrooms in it in the town I slip. Right? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I, as you say that, I'm like Brentwood. See hi, like I just, I just, because yes. I see them on MLS, eight bedroom, four bathroom, high ranch. It's like, what is going on yeah, here? No. What, what do we think is going on here? And then my favorite is they still have the garage doors up, and I'm like, well, no, <laughs> yeah, well, no. Um, I want to talk about to kind of wrap it up. I want to talk about your before we wrap it up. I want to talk about your coaching program. So I know that you are working with a variety of different people, which is interesting because this is kind of like a unique niche. I don't see people doing this. You are coaching both realtors and investors in different capacities at different parts of their business and process. In my dealing with investors over the last, I mean, it's been years. I have found that even the ones that do some of the big programs that are 10, 20,000, they're not really taught what to do once they get into the house or they have the house, what should I do? And they don't really have anybody to fall back on or these big programs that are 20, 30,000 then want you to pay extra money for coaching. And I've been working with investors on small programs, just kind of working on getting more houses, looking at the market, better ways to look at the market, what you should do when you get in the house, 
that type of stuff. Nice. So it's been a, like more of a one-on-one uh, coaching and getting them prepared for what they're actually going to deal with. Yeah, and this is like, this is the kind of stuff you need, people. Like when I first got into real estate, I was got, I trained with Carl Chavon, right? And I paid for that. And a very close family friend with everybody else that I knew told me I was out of my mind to even do this, right? But when I said, I'm going to pay this gentleman and he's going to coach me. And he laughed and he's like, this guy's going to suck. Like he can't possibly be any good at what you're like wanting to learn because he would be doing it himself. And that's ridiculous. Like everybody is different. Yeah, there's bad programs. There's people that aren't honest. I guarantee you none of them come on the handsome show, right? But there are some people that just like to teach and it's part of their model. I mean, listen, Anne-Marie was a teacher. She was a librarian for the love of God, right? I mean, how much more honest can you get? Um, it was worth it to pay somebody like her for her experience. You're going to learn things that are going to make you a lot of money. Yeah. Or and save you from losing a lot of money. Yes. And even agents, I've, I've gotten involved with coaching newer agents and even some more experienced agents on negotiating skills. Um, because, again, I've been there, done that, where I've devoted my life to getting listings and spending every weekend doing open houses and, you know, doing two plus, you know, million dollars a year in sales and whatnot. And now my life is changing a little bit. I, I like helping new agents figure out their business model and what they can do to be successful. Nice. Because that's something also that that's really, you get your real estate license. And I mean, even though you put your license with a broker, they may have trainings here and there, but you're on your own. There's minimal support. I mean, and we, I had, I had Dean Miller on like a month ago and he's trying to change that. I mean, that's like, I, that's a huge void in the market right now, in my opinion. Brokers that actually provide value is a huge void in the market. It is. And they can only do so much, you know, all these brokerages are different and everything's geared towards you making more money, but that you need help sometimes, somebody talking you actually through this process. Well, it's a process. Well, that's the thing. And, it, and it's worth it to give up X percent if you're going to get the value. Right. Right? Because there's a lot of brokers out there that are taking 60, 50, 40 percent and you're not getting shit. Right? Mm -hmm. If that's the point, you might as well just go to a place and get as much money as possible. But if you're going to give value to people, then it, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. So how do people get in touch with you if they need appraisals done, if they want coaching, if... If, I mean, you, you basically do it all. I do. Uh, you could call the office number, which is 631-877-5085. That's 631-877-5085. Or go to my website, www.longislandappraisers.org. Bang. Thank you for coming on. Thank Love you. Love you. Always great seeing you. Captain Permit, 516-513-8838. Handsome commercial properties. Cat pee houses. If it's anything real estate related, I want to buy it. It's that simple. 516-777-SOLD. And again, we are looking for five, count them, five people to test a new lending platform for fix and flip. 516-777-SOLD. Reach out. Give me a buzz. I will make the connection for you. Later.